Exciting news! We got our first Instagram shout out. Whoa! Um, that wasn't by our by our own. <laughs> yes, not by someone that we are related to, which is really nice. Um, Denisha uh, gave our podcast a shout out. <laughs> it was so funny. She said like, "Oh, it's called Pink Collar, but it's not about like fashion." <laughs> which we should totally get shirts with pink collars or something. I don't know. We'll think about it, but <laughs> I was should. saying we should get pink wigs, but no, a pink collar shirt would be cool too. But would it be weird for it to be a t-shirt with a pink collar on it? Isn't that just a polo shirt? No, like 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 a drawing. <laughs> oh, that's kind of meta. <laughs> a t-shirt with a picture of a shirt on it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Well, merch possibilities. I'm not we'll the creative one, obviously. For our, like, three fans. <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh. I mean, if you guys want fashion advice from Rachel and I... Um, I think Rachel has a great sense of style. I can't really steer you towards anything but a black t-shirt and leggings, but yeah, ask us. We'll help. <laughs> I think that's being very generous. Um, do you want to hear about a shirt that I just bought at Goodwill? Sure. Okay, so I was at the Goodwill here and I got so much stuff and I spent $50. It's crazy. I actually did get some like very cute things. Um, but the best purchase I think of, of the day, I was looking through t-shirts because that's become like a staple of my wardrobe now, Mm -hmm. um, that we're in quarantine. I don't dress up for anything anymore. Um, but I found a t-shirt with two kittens shooting lasers out of their eyes. Um, that's awesome. Gary Laser Eyes. <laughs> My cat is named Gary Laser Eyes. So now I have a shirt with lasers coming out of cat's eyes. It is just so perfect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. <laughs> um, well, anyway, today we are kind of doing a belated 4th of July inspired episode. I can't say that like 4th of July, honestly, is just like not my thing too much because in, in the first place, like ignoring the current state of this country and all that. I don't really like fireworks. Um, they're too loud, and I just feel really bad for all the pets out there. Um, or veterans, or anyone that who too, does not that too. deal well with loud noises. Um, I do have a question. So if you What's are up? listening to this podcast, this is not for you, Rachel. If you are oh. listening to this podcast, and you are someone who apparently loves fireworks and has been popping them off for the past month can you just like tweet us like comment on our instagram why why do you like these fireworks so much like i just don't understand or you know what stop listening we don't want you (laughs) (laughs) no well you know put it on mute and like give us the play anyway just yeah but no i just don't understand like fireworks have been going off like all of june um, through basically like two nights ago or like last night or whatever that they stopped. And I'm like, why? I like, I get it from afar. I'm like, oh, that's pretty. But for the most part, I can't see them. No, I don't think I'm thinking they're like popping the ones off on the ground. And I'm like, what, what's this I noise for? Think <laughs> about how many people's homes get burned down or like cars get damaged yeah. or like 
fingers get blown off or people get killed. And to me, it's just not worth it, I don't think. And I don't like the noise. I Personally, this 4th of July, I actually had a really bad stomach ache and I just laid in bed and yeah, watched Hamilton instead and tried to block out the fireworks. Also, Which Hamilton, Hamilton is so good. I, oh my God. I oh my God. have been like basically Hamilton obsessed since for years. I mean... I think when you and I met Rachel, I was like you, basically yes. listening to the soundtrack on repeat, like all well, day. Well, you were, and I tried to listen to the soundtrack, but it just like, I just didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching it was yeah, that's fantastic. Jarrell says the same thing because I was like, you know, obviously playing it all the time, and he's like, this mm-hmm. sounds so corny, this sounds so weird. But then I was able to get tickets, and we went in person in Denver a couple of years ago. And he was, like, on the edge of a seat. He was like, this is so good. And finally, now he's like, I have a favorite Hamilton song. And, like, this is my favorite character. Um, and all that. And so I do think, like, seeing it, like, is just, yeah. Even if you're having to watch it on TV, I think it's just, like, it's incredible to, like, just watch it. Lin-Manuel, Miranda, and the entire cast are, like, geniuses, I feel. so. I great. cried a lot oh my god i was sobbing at the end of it it was so good also well yeah because um that one guy is in it jonathan groff from like mindhunter and stuff yeah he was so also he has like the easiest job because he literally just walks on stage and like sings for (laughs) like like, a little nine minutes total and then just turns around and walks away like spits all over his face i'm like that was an interesting choice no, I so I've been watching like all these YouTube videos with like ten facts about Hamilton. Um, apparently he's just like a really spitty, sweaty person. That was not even a choice. That's just like his bodily functions. Ew. Well, that makes me like, you know, I have no intention of going outside to meet people ever again. But like, I know I don't want to meet him now. <laughs> That's so gross. Well, he wouldn't be wearing like. <laughs> A giant costume and be trying to projectile sing. I guess, but that's just gross. Um, I would meet him in Mindhunter. He was so good. Um, yeah. And then also the one sister. Oh, what's her name? Angelica. Angelica. She Renee, was in Elise Goldsberry. Rent. Yeah, she was um, in the musical version, which I think is way better than the movie. Um, but I was like, oh, she looks so familiar. And then. Uh, David Diggs also. David Diggs is like a like gem. Like I think he is one of the gifts that if you believe in a god has like given <laughs> us. Like I like I, it, he's just so charismatic. It's hard anything that he's in, like whether it's Kimmy Schmidt, like Black. Oh my god, like, I love him. Just Kimmy so Schmidt. like he's just so like you're just I don't know drawn to like whatever he's performing and it's just so good him as thomas jefferson i was like cracking up um him as lafayette as i was lafayette like was really oh that too, french yeah. accent i was also very confused like i didn't realize that he had switched characters, switched characters. <laughs> and i was like oh he doesn't have a an accent anymore accent and i was like anymore. oh because he's thomas jefferson now yeah was, yeah no he was really good super good everyone was good my i um I believe that Aaron Burr is the unsung hero of Hamilton, and I know some people don't agree, but oh, I, I, was like, I stand for. I didn't like it. Maybe I need to watch it again. <laughs> I think I like. I, I get. I've listened to like the podcast, and I've seen or not the podcast. I've listened to the uh, soundtrack so many times, and I've seen both. Um, like, or I've seen it twice, and I think the thing is like here like yeah Aaron Burr comes from like a privileged family but he's also like an orphan and he's just trying to like live up to his legacy true and like Hamilton is just kind of like getting in his way because they don't get along like and it's just like constantly getting in his way because they don't get along and yeah I do think it was stupid for him to ask for a duel but they didn't have Netflix back then so I guess that's what they did for fun (laughs) Also, Hamilton cheated on his wife. That yeah, was Hamilton really wasn't, like, Hamilton's not the hero of Hamilton, which is, like, I think what Lin-Manuel was, like, trying to, mm-hmm. like, project. Um, no, I see that. Like, he, you know, was not a very good person, and he had no problems with using people if he needed to, or hurting people. And, like, I think you see, I think Hamilton, the musical, does a really good job at showing, like, how he 
influenced or impacted other people's lives but i mean mm-hmm. like we give credit where credit is due in terms of like what he did like historically for this country but yeah well yeah and like all of the people in that were imperfect obviously like george washington owned slaves and so did thomas jefferson um so well yeah i mean that's like the whole debate in this country right now is like oh if we're taking down statues are we erasing history blah 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 blah. but i think oh i've also been reading this book about um it's called like lies my teacher told me or something um I think I've heard of that. And it's so maybe. I well, I sent you a picture. So. Oh yeah, that's probably okay. Yeah, that's that's why I've heard of it. <laughs> it's so it's really good. Um, it's really done. So it's taken me a long time to get through, but it's the way that it presents history is just so much better than anything before. And I don't think anyone's really advocating for us to not talk about history, but to make sure that we're being inclusive and talk about both sides. Wow. (laughs) Anyway, well, we got pretty off topic there. Um, But all relevant things, all relevant things. But so 4th of July belated episode. Um, So we decided to do it's kind of like another good crimes episode. Um, I think it's my turn to go first. Yeah. Also, before I get started, um, my person has two first names. And I originally wrote the script using the first name. And then it turns out she goes by her middle name. So I'm going to try to call her Emma throughout, but if I say Sarah and slip up, that's why. Um, So, take a little sip of wine and I'll get started. Fancy. So, Sarah Emma Edmondson was born in 1841 in New Brunswick, Canada. Um, So, Sarah's father was really hoping that she would be a boy and really resented her. So, her older brother was born with epilepsy so he couldn't you know he wasn't medically or fit to take over the role of being the man in the family um so his father was really hoping for another son but emma was born instead um so he was really awful to to emma and her mother and despite her father's cruelty emma was um very involved in physical challenges outside of her home so she was an excellent horse rider, she was a really good shot, and she was a strong swimmer. Um, When she was nine years old, a peddler gave her a book about the adventures of Fanny Campbell. Fanny was a teenage girl who disguised herself as a man and went sailing to save her lover from a band of pirates. This got Emma's imagination churning. Um, She eventually left her home in 1857 in order to escape abuse and to avoid an arranged marriage to a much older man she was only 15 at the time and wasn't quite ready to settle down um she changed her last name to Edmonds. so emma lived in a town called moncton for a year but was afraid of being discovered by her father she packed up all her things and immigrated to america so it's not easy to be a single woman during these times even now not so much but uh you certainly couldn't provide for yourself so she made the decision to cut her long dark hair tan her face with stain and disguise herself as a man she went by the name of franklin thompson and became a bible salesman in the town of hartford connecticut isn't that where harvard is no that's where yeah no new haven that's where emily gilmore lives that's what i was yeah uh emily and richard gilmore Uh, recipes richard didn't live there until a couple hundred (laughs) years later but still um so her employer boasted about her sales saying that he'd never have anyone sell as many bibles as frank thompson by the time the civil war started in 1861 emma was in flint michigan selling bibles Um, emma strongly supported the union and decided to join the army so in may of 1861 she joined the second michigan infantry as a three-year recruit so how is this possible um 
you would think, you know, that they might notice that she wasn't a man as she was going through the process. But during that time, the army didn't require the recruits to strip down and go through the intensive, you know, physical examination that they do now. Um, as long as someone had all of their limbs and could see and could talk, they were considered good to go. Although um, Emma was first turned away because of her height, standing at five foot six, she was just shy of the height requirement of the army. However, President Lincoln called for 75,000 troops a few weeks later, so she tried again and was accepted in after answering a few questions and demonstrating a firm handshake. There were many smooth-faced boys in the army with loose-fitting uniforms, so Emma didn't attract too much attention to herself. During this time, the hygiene standard was pretty low, and male modesty also protected her from being found out. The gentlemen would sleep fully clothed and would bathe in their undergarments. Um, men, many men also didn't want to use the smelly latrines that were in the trenches, so it wasn't unusual for men to go take their potty out in the woods. Um, so although Sarah and her colleagues did not fight in the first battle of Manassas, she did help the Union retreat from the field. She also, did I say Sarah that time? I did it. I don't know. Although Emma and her colleagues did not fight in the first battle of Manassas, she did help the Union retreat from the field. She stayed behind to help provide medical treatment for soldiers and was nearly captured when she returned to her regiment in Washington. During March of 1862, Emma began working as a mail carrier for her regiment. The 2nd Michigan Infantry was sent to Virginia and took part in the siege of Yorktown. There was an estimated 482 casualties during this battle, and while neither side won, 182 Union soldiers were killed compared to the 300 Confederate soldiers. Hmm. I know, so sad. Um, During this time, Sarah was asked to conduct espionage espionage missions. Um, Now, there was never any proof that... God, I keep seeing Sarah, saying Sarah. Emma. You know what? Emma and Sarah are the same person, so just bear with me. So there's never any proof that Emma (laughs) slash Sarah... (laughs) I didn't want to go through and change them all. It's too much work. That Emma slash Sarah was a spy... But why would there be? That would make her a terrible spy. However, her memoir detailed her time working behind enemy lines. So after a Union spy was killed, Emma went off to replace them. She darkened her skin with silver nitrate and wore a curly-haired wig. She wore a plantation suit and went by the name of Cuff. Uh, While mingling with the black laborers, Emma was hauling off wheelbarrows of gravel. She began to sweat, and one of the other workers was like, hey, why do you look like you're white now? Um, She was quick on her feet and said that her mother was a white woman, so this might explain why she all of a sudden looked white. Isn't that a quote from Mean Girls? Like, oh my god, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not quite the same. I totally blinked on that movie for a second. (laughs) Well, that's what I was thinking of as as I was writing this. Um, But she was like, oh, my mom was white, so I'm white. Um... So, <laughs> this labor was really t- <laughs> just sweating off your, like, I feel like that would be so obvious, though. Like, whatever. I'm sure that yeah. they weren't really asking too many questions. Yeah. Um. So, this labor was tough on Emma, so she convinced another slave to trade places with her and became a water bearer. She spent the next few days getting familiar with the layout of the camp. Emma noticed a peddler that would often sell newspaper and stationery in the Union area, telling the Confederates all about the Union camp. So on the third day, Emma was handed a musket and was sent to the enemy lines. She used this as an opportunity to slip away and tell her general everything they needed to know to plan an attack. It was said that uh, Emma would act as a spy again, dressing up as an Irish immigrant or disguising herself as a black woman. She even once ended up cooking rations at a Confederate headquarters and was even in sight of Robert E. Lee so she could listen in on their conversations. Um, So Emma wasn't the only woman that disguised herself as a man to join the army. In fact, approximately 400 women would join the Union Army disguised as men and 250 women joined the confederate side 
So women could serve in the army as cooks, nurses, laundresses, and camp followers, and it wasn't unusual for women to have to pick up a gun during a battle to defend themselves, but um, it was a very different experience for the women who disguised themselves as men. If they were caught, they would immediately be discharged and were presumed to be of questionable moral character. Um, It was believed that women joined the war to sometimes follow the man they loved, um, to seek adventure or because of the love of their country. However, the most likely explanation was money. It was more common for working class women, so immigrants, farm girls, um, to join the army while middle class women were more likely to be nurses. Um, Once during a very bloody battle, Emma was providing aid to a young soldier who was near death. The soldier confided that she was actually a woman who disguised herself as a man to be closer to her brother, who had passed away the day before. Emma kept her secret and buried her close by without a shroud or a casket. She described this horrible experience later in poetry. I'm going to read this poem and try not to cry when I'm reading it because it's really sad, but... um, Her race is run in southern clime, she rests among the brave, where perfume blossoms gently fall like tears around her grave. No loving friends are near to weep or plant bright flowers there, but herdlings chant a requiem sweet and strangers breathe a prayer. She sleeps in peace, yes sweetly sleeps, her sorrows are all over, with her the storms of life are past, she's found the heavenly shore. Aw, that was really pretty. I know, and so sad. I hope you write a poem for me when I die. (laughs) Are you planning to die in battle? Well, maybe, but like start it now so that it's ready to go. Can I write you a little (laughs) ukulele song? Sure. Rachel's a great ukulele player, by the way. Not really, because playing ukulele is easy. If you know four chords, you can sing like 35 songs, so more than that. That doesn't mean you're not great so well thank you but no that was really that was really beautiful i know i as i was reading that tears came to my eyes and while i was delivering it i messed it up a few times which hopefully he'll cut but Mm -hmm. um just very a very sad experience for emma and kind of how wonderful of her to keep that secret and to well that's the thing is that this person wasn't able to you know receive military honors while being buried because she had to keep her secret um very sad but getting back to the story during 1862 her emma's regiment came under heavy fire during the battle of williamsburg emma was caught right in the middle of of everything she even picked up a musket and began firing with her comrades she also acted as a stretcher bearer carrying injured soldiers off the field this battle was especially rough. It was pouring rain all throughout, and in the end, 3,843 soldiers died, the majority, 2,283, being Union soldiers. That summer, Emma continued to act in her role as a mail carrier. She would carry mail across distances of 100 miles going through very dangerous territories inhabited by bushwhackers. I had to look up what a bushwhacker was. Um, but bushwalkers referred to people who weren't really on either side of the war that had kind of banded together in groups. But fun fact, a bushwhacker is also a fancy drink. It's described as a chocolate pina colada. I was looking through the ingredients and I was like, Ooh, that sounds actually really good. I feel like I've heard of that. And also it does not sound good to me. (laughs) It sounds interesting. It's got like rum and like cocoa and... Vodka. Like, you make your alcohol too and sweet. And whipped cream. <laughs> well, the anyway. cocktail was named after somebody's dog, not Aww. people who were actual bushwhackers. Um, so not the same thing, but a fun fact nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it fresh here at Pink Collar. Um, in the summer of 1862, the Second Michigan took part in the Battle of Second Manassas. Sarah was a courier during this battle, and in the middle of it all, her horse was killed, forcing her to hop on a mule. Um, I don't know whether the mule threw her in a ditch or this happened while her horse was 
killed, um, but she was thrown into a ditch, which resulted in a broken leg and internal injuries. A few months later, in the Battle of Fredrickson, Sarah was still relaying messages back and forth despite her injuries. In the spring of 1863, Sarah and her comrades were sent to Kentucky. During this time, Sarah contracted malaria and requested a furlough from the army. It was denied. So this was not a great time for Sarah. Malaria, as you know, is contracted from mosquitoes and the symptoms include fever, chills, overall is kind of a flu-like illness. Um, it has the possibility to be fatal, but Sarah wasn't, Sarah, Emma, whatever. Emma was, couldn't seek medical treatment because the army doctors might notice, you know, that she had a vagina. Um, so she left her colleagues and Franklin Thompson was charged with desertion. So Sarah, Emma left her colleagues. Um, so Emma took time to recover and ended up working with the United States Christian Commission as a nurse, but as just her regular self lady from 1863 until the end of the war. In 1864, Sarah Emma released a memoir called Nurse and Spy in the Union Army. She ended up donating the profits to various soldiers' aid groups. And in 1876, Emma married Linus Seeley, and they had three children together, all sons who joined the army just like their mother. Emma would eventually visit a dry goods store owned by her army pal, Damon Stewart. Emma found him working behind the desk and asked if he knew the whereabouts of Frank Thompson. He was like, are you his mother? She said no. He asked, are you his sister? She said no again. Emma leaned forward, took the pencil out of his hand, and wrote, be quiet. I am Frank Thompson. When Damon later spoke to a reporter about this experience, he said that him and his friends never suspected that Emma was actually a woman, and they just made fun of him for having really tiny feet so they would like make fun of him her and say like oh like oh you're a little girl because like look at your tiny little feet <laughs> but they never suspected that she was actually a woman which you know makes sense i think a lot of the yeah people fighting at the time i can't imagine that there was an 18 year old restriction to be in the army so there's probably like a lot of 16 year old boys who don't have facial hair or you know fully developed male bodies so i'm sure it wasn't like totally unusual but it's kind of funny that they never thought that um so in 1876 sarah attended in 1876 emma slash sarah attended a reunion of the second michigan and was welcomed back with open arms her colleagues led by damon helped her get her desertion charge removed and supported her application for a pension. Um, the injuries that Emma suffered um, when she was thrown off of her horse or maybe mule were affecting her later on in life, so it was really important that she get this pension and be able to support herself. Um, after eight years, um, or she submitted her application eight years later, Franklin Thompson was finally cleared of his charges of desertion and became eligible for pension. And in 1898, Sarah passed away in her home in LaPorte, Texas. In 1901, she was reburied with military honors at Washington Cemetery in Houston. She was the only female permitted to be buried in the Civil War plot. And that is the story of Sarah Emma Edmonds. Let's go Sarah Emma Edmonds. I like her. <laughs> She's like a real-life Mulan. Yeah. Like, her story is touching it feels odd to be telling the story actually on a true crime podcast but what she did was technically not allowed at the time and if she were to get caught she would be in trouble and she clearly had you know lots of problems getting her pension that that was owed to her but it's kind of shocking that she was the only woman that was allowed to be buried in the civil war plot because even though she pretended to be a man there were plenty of women that helped out with the war, too, yeah. that weren't even disguised. It yeah. just seems odd to me that, you know, like, nurses or cooks or people doing, you know, helping take care of the soldiers weren't able to be buried there as well. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that it was rarer, rarer um, for a woman to do that. But even when I was searching um, for this case, like, I came across at least a couple other like women who disguise themselves one way or another to fight 
um, in the Civil War or like, you know, rescue someone or do things like that. Um, but right. I was like, surprised the, that the the numbers that I said it was like 400 union. But there and- were, yeah. But there were tons that actually served as like spies throughout not just the Civil War, the American Revolution, like all of these things. And I feel like their intel for a lot of these cases, I remember reading one where like Ulysses S. Grant, like as like wrote to this um, specific woman and was like, literally, if you did not get us the information that you got us, like we would not have succeeded. And so I don't know. I just feel like we need to give women their props a little bit more. Who runs the world? Girls. Girls. <laughs> Okay, I don't think, like, technically speaking, no one was charged with, um, like, a crime. However, as we get into it, like, technically speaking, like, the woman that I'm speaking of, um, like, what she did could have been considered illegal, um, but it is her involvement with the... um, legal system and so i say that that loosely like fits our definition for pink collar crime um so uh we we make the rules i don't understand why you're like justifying that (laughs) i'm not gonna like say no well i'm just (laughs) saying do whatever you want if any of our listeners are like i want crime i'm saying this is this is my justification you know it's good to Um, have breaks from like total crime yeah yeah um, so I am doing the case of Elizabeth Freeman. So um, this is like my small little tirade before I get into the case. Um, Elizabeth Freeman, she um, was a like an enslaved African. And so she had a ton of different like nicknames that were listed, um, including like Bet, Mumbet, um, things like that. And for me, as a woman of color, as a black woman, um, like most of these documents like would refer to exclusively as Mumbet, but knowing like the history of like Mammy and all of that, that doesn't fly with me. But so I will be referring to her as Elizabeth. Um, but if you like Google her and, you know, like also want to Google Mumbet, you'll also be able to find um, information on her that way. Um, so on to my case. Um, Elizabeth Freeman was an enslaved African, um, and she was born into enslavement in New York in the early 1940s. Different sources said, like, sorry, 1940s. Start over. (laughs) Elizabeth Freeman was was an African born into enslavement in New York in the early 1740s. Uh, different sources said that she was born in like 1740, 1742, 1744. Um, it was a long time ago. There wasn't good record keeping. I'm just going to say 1740s. Understandable. Um, so she spent a lot of her early life on um, Peter Hogboom's uh plantation alongside her sister when peter hogboom's daughter uh, married a military colonel named john ashley he uh peter gifted elizabeth and her sister to the new ashley family uh, uh, so soon after elizabeth gave birth to a daughter um elizabeth is described as having an incredible an incredibly strong sense of self Mrs. Hannah Ashley, um, who was um, Elizabeth's former, I guess, quote unquote, master, um, that was his daughter. Um, She is said to have been raised in a strict Dutch community and was just generally a very cruel person, particularly to um, the Africans that she enslaved. And so reports say that one day Mrs. Ashley became angry um, either at Elizabeth's daughter or sister, different sources like described it differently. Um, but she was very angry at, at the girl and attempted to strike her in the head with a heated shovel. What? Like, why would what you feel like that's something you need to do? Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so she attempted to do that and Elizabeth was like not having it. So she like very bo- boldly blocked the strike. Um, 
with her forearm and it caused a huge and what I imagine to probably have been kind of gross wound that cut straight through the flesh um and it was just like horrible um and in protest against Mrs. Ashley, Elizabeth refused to keep the wound covered with a cloth or a bandage as it healed. Uh, this act was a silent um, act of defiance and protest against the cruel institution of slavery and the mistreatment of um, enslaved people by um, Mrs. Ashley or just other people in general. Um, basically, for Elizabeth, if she was meant to serve you, then you were going to see what, um, like the conditions of her servitude entailed. Um, and so, uh, people would be appalled and disgusted at the sight of Elizabeth's arm and they would ask her what happened. And she would basically say, ask Mrs. Ashley, um, Mm -hmm. Catherine Maria Sedgwick, um, quotes Elizabeth as saying, I had a bad arm all winter, but Madam had the worst of it. I never covered my wound. And when people said to me before Madam, Betty, what ails your arm? I only answered, ask Mrs. Um, so I respect that. Um, and so Colonel Ashley, um, who was the male patriarch, I guess, of this household and um, the technical legal owner of all of the enslaved Africans that they had was a Yale-educated lawyer, and he was also a well-respected community community leader. And so his home often served as a meeting place for political discussions and um, the site in which a lot of historical, like, Massachusetts documents were signed. Um, this is all taking place in Massachusetts, by the way. Hey, um, I live there. Um, not anymore. Just well, <laughs> I'm still paying rent there, so <laughs> I'll be um, back there in a yeah less than a week so hey cool um and so in 1780 the new massachusetts constitution was ratified and at a political gathering um either at ashley's home at the ashley home or in a public square um elizabeth who could not read or write um overheard part of the new document being read aloud it read all men are born free and equal and have certain natural essential and unalienable rights um among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying and defending their lives and liberties that of acquiring possessing and protecting property in fine that seeking and obtaining their safety and happiness um and so these words very deeply resonated with elizabeth and so she was able to seek the counsel of theodore sedgwick who was a lawyer who had um who, he was very much anti-enslavement and very pro-abolition. Um, and so in pleading her case to Theodore Sedgwick, Elizabeth is quoted as having said, I heard that paper read yesterday that says all men are create, created equal and that every man has a right to freedom. I'm not a dumb critter. Won't the law give me my freedom? And so I guess she pled her case really well because he agreed. And so with the help of Theodore Sedgwick, Elizabeth, along with an enslaved man named Brom, began the process of legally fighting for their freedom. Historians note that Sedgwick, along with many of the lawyers in the area, decided to use this case as a quote unquote test case to basically I don't know, test and see if slavery was constitutional under the new Massachusetts Constitution. Um, So they're basically like seeing, you know, throwing something into the wall and seeing if it stuck. Um, And um, so um, kind of like I was saying earlier, although this isn't explicitly a crime um, that they were arrested and charged for, it's important to note that this was a period in which the enslavement and slaughter of Africans was essentially um, sanctioned by um, the state, by the government, um, and it wasn't checked. Um, and so if someone of power decided that they wanted to yell crime in Brahm and Elizabeth's direction, they could have easily been um, very quickly arrested, charged, and murdered. That's um, horrible. Yeah. And so the just to think like to even even her, you know, stepping, I guess, out of line um, and speaking to Theodore Sedgwick. um, I think that uh, like alone is like if she was in a southern state where a lot of times some of the practices were a lot more 
I guess a little, a lot less cruel or a lot more cruel, um, like that enough, that alone could have been enough, um, to end her life. Um, and so, yeah, so though not formally charged, um, the, her act of defiance, um, in a way could have been considered a crime. And so in 1871, like mid 1871, Theodore Sedgwick, um, he basically was able to gather a team of um, like really like some of the best lawyers in Massachusetts, uh, which included Tapping Reeve, who founded the Litchfield Law School, which was one of America's earliest law schools. Theodore Sedgwick and his legal team filed a document called a writ of replevin, and they submitted that to the Berkshire uh, Court of Common Pleas. And so this writ basically ordered um, Colonel Ashley to release Elizabeth and Brom, um, basically, again, citing the Massachusetts state constitution, which... Um, which basically uh, declared that all men are um, born free and equal and are able to seek and obtain their safety and happiness, um, then that then the document basically outlawed slavery. The Colonel Ashley refused to release them from um, his possession. And so in fall of 1781, the case was then escalated to the County Court of Common Pleas of Great Barrington, which what is that? Sounds very British. Um, and the case became henceforth known as Brom and Bet versus Ashley. And just a random side note, I just feel like Elizabeth did a lot of groundwork and for like Brom to be listed first, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, that's annoying. Wasn't yeah, and it also her idea in the first yeah. place. And also for them to like list her um, nickname, Bet, instead of Elizabeth, I think is a little a little rude um but anyway um so during the case um theodore sedgwick and his team used the same argument basically arguing that the phrasing in the ratified and signed into law massachusetts constitution outlawed slavery and um surprisingly the jury agreed with um uh, with the uh, defense and decided that Elizabeth and Brom were not um, Colonel Ashley's legitimate property, um, therefore ordering that he had no choice but to release them. And so Elizabeth and Brom were both set free um, for, like, I guess their suffering. They were awarded 30 shillings. And I don't know how much a shilling is, but I'm going to guess 30 whole probably. shillings. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's probably not a lot, but I also, I guess, might have been like, ooh, we're millionaires back then. Who knows? Um, And they also got, um, like, repaid the cost of the trial, which I assume it didn't cost them anything because they didn't have any money as, like, enslaved people. Mm. Um, So I'm not sure. But, yeah, so that's how – so that's basically the ruling – uh, Colonel John Ashley filed an appeal to the Supreme Court, but he eventually dropped his case. I guess he figured it wasn't worth pursuing. Um, and there was, I guess it's also, there was another like simultaneous, um, trial that happened like around that time as well. And that trial ended up declaring that slavery was without a doubt incompatible with the new Massachusetts constitution. And so that probably was a motivator as well um, for him dropping the case. And so once Elizabeth um, uh, became free, that's when she actually changed her name from just Elizabeth, I guess, to Elizabeth Freeman. Get it? Oh, um, yeah. And um, f- over time um, or after um, some period of time, Colonel John Ashley actually reached back out to Elizabeth and was like, hey, we'll pay you. Will you come back? Like, <laughs> Oh, God. Like, you'll be free, but like you can just, you know, you don't work for us. Um, and she was basically like. No, that's not going to happen, which I totally don't blame anyone, especially if your wife had been cruel. Um, Like, obviously, she does need to work and make money. But like, why would I go back to the home in which I was kept as property? Um, 
And yeah, so instead she actually became a paid domestic worker for the Sedgwick family. Um, and she worked, um, she also had jobs as a healer. Um, so probably like a nurse, I guess, and Mm -hmm. a midwife. Um, And so after 20 years of hard, hard work, she was finally able to buy a home. And she lived there and raised her children there. And in on December 28th, 1892, Elizabeth Freeman died. And she was buried in the Sedgwick family plot in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. She's believed to have been 85 years old and is the only non-Sedgwick buried in the quote-unquote inner circle of the Sedgwick family plot. And so um, they clearly had a lot of love for um elizabeth and i bet i assume that the gratitude for being in each other's lives was mutual um Mm -hmm. and i think that's oddly in like like i guess relates kind of to your case how your um how emma was buried and was like the only female um, Mm -hmm. or woman buried with the um civil war union soldiers i guess um Yeah, and so she died because this was hundreds of years ago, and people don't live forever. But I do still eighty five. Yeah, especially back then, I thought people like died at like twelve. I um, think they did. <laughs> usually, <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not funny. I'm sorry, guys. But um, yeah, I think that this case itself, like I said, um, even though no one was like formally charged with a crime, I think that she easily could have been yeah she easily could have been if like if she was in alabama this i don't think would have gone um her way no 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 no. yeah and i also think that like her case was like the first stepping stone towards massachusetts finally declaring that slavery was outlawed and i think a lot of times you know the way that we americans tell history we sometimes forget like it was everywhere you know it wasn't like a a southern only thing and so um just kind of seeing like the opportunity that was afforded to one person that ended up changing essentially the lives of thousands of i think like there were like thirty thousand enslaved africans in the north um i'm sure massachusetts like it it caused somewhat of a ripple effect and mm-hmm. i think it's an important case um to think about especially considering Absolutely. we are like on the heels of uh fourth of july which we all know not every american was free on fourth mm-hmm. of july um people mm-hmm. were still not free and then um juneteenth which um was which just passed june 19th um which declared or which is the day um that the enslaved people in texas found out that apparently the other enslaved people in the country were already free um and so that's when enslavement was truly ended in the country um so yeah wasn't juneteenth was just declared like a national holiday and not national holiday, but in New York, I think the state of New York declared it. Oh, really? That's cool. A holiday. Very cool. I'll be honest. I didn't know. Um, I like sometimes being Haitian American. Like there are certain things that are more exclusive, exclusively like black or African American that mm-hmm. I just didn't like know about growing up. Because um, even though I like, never knew. Yeah, and so I didn't find out what Juneteenth was until, like, maybe a year or two into me and Gerald dating, Mm -hmm. Um, because, like, we went back to his hometown, and I was like, what are these flyers for this Juneteenth thing? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, and he was like, you don't know. Like, sometimes he talks to me like I'm an alien, but I'm like, (laughs) it's not my fault. I'm from South Florida, and I, like, like, was surrounded by, like, other haitian people (laughs) right right actually Um, so the book that i'm reading that i was just talking about before mm -hmm. um talks a lot about haiti so far i mean i'm i don't even know if i'm a quarter of the i mean it's not so cool what the people were doing to the haitians but um it goes into a lot of their history basically everyone was terrible to your people i'm sorry yeah yeah i think um I think Haiti has a lot of problems, but they're owed a lot of apologies from a lot of people, including America. Well, right. Um, Didn't, like, 
so many people tried to invade them so many times and even yeah well i texted you about woodrow wilson Mm -hmm. like trying to start some issues there yeah yeah um like they basically in a weird way i think occupied it for like what 15 years or something Um, right yeah which is insane and i think a lot of these things you can point to a lot of the world's mistreatment of haiti as part of why like the haitian government struggles so much and well, why yeah. there's yeah so <laughs> yeah. much instability in the country today um i mean even like if we just go back to like historical like like the haitian the enslaved africans of the island like went to war with their captors the french won the French had to leave and then declare and then demanded that Haiti like give them like 90 million pieces of gold because the island was like like rich with like gold oh and God. soil and all of that and basically was like if you don't we're coming back and that's gonna like be even worse for you and obviously people who don't have much and you know had to already fight a war once Jeez. like couldn't do that and so they paid all of this money or all of this gold Whoa. to France and I think that that, like, is, like, the first part of why Haiti struggles. And so, France, if you're listening, reparations. France. Thanks. Come on. <laughs> that sounds like the plot of A Bug's Life. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That is, like, not what I was expecting you to say. But well, I, I see. I see your point. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast. <laughs>